0: William Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sports book publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective, with Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog. Follow on social media at Walk Wag Play. And also Tony Park Consulting. Helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com This is Barclay and Barton on the Premier League. I'm Wayne Barton, football writer and author, specifically on Manchester United, joined by a more general football writer or retired writer I must keep remembering to say. Paddy yeah. Barclay, how are you doing, Paddy? Very well, thanks. Hello everybody. It's going to be an interesting one today, um, and I'd say that not only because United returned to the top of the tree, um, yeah. but a season with some major changes, which um, if you'd listened to the last episode, you might not have really seen coming, because they seem to um, flip the table around a little bit, notably at mm. Everton and Leeds, where fortunes are usually reversed. Um, but we discussed mm. Matt Letitia at the end of the last show, and. Um, I f- yeah. You know, I, I forgot to mention that he'd actually retired at that point um, so it's probably fitting to start with him here um, he'd announced retirement in the post-season I think he got injured in a game towards the back end of the last season and just sort of said that, that'll be it for me um, yeah. so he finished with a testimonial against an England eleven at St Mary's and the game fittingly Paddy ended 9-9 yeah yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know who scored the goals. Did Letizia score? I don't know. Oh, he
0: brought his son on as a 2nd half substitute, his 10-year-old son. I'm not quite sure how this worked out, but his 10-year-old son apparently yeah. scored a hat-trick. So, um, mm. yeah.
1: Well, I wonder if the boy still plays. Um, the thing is, you, 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 you wouldn't wish that. You know, uh, oh, he's not as good as his dad. I mean, you wouldn't wish that on anybody, but... Uh, no, that's uh, that's great. I mean, leticia we've already talked about this. We both love him. I think he's one of the best entertainers, and, and I don't say that in a sort of yeah, he was a he was a circus act, you know, because he was much more. He was a great player as well, but he was definitely one of the great entertainers of uh, of my lifetime in English football. And uh, I, I always used to when I was a kid, I always used to wish. That I could see, uh, I, I would. I had seen uh, Len Shackleton, who was apparently a really cheeky and outrageously gifted player. And uh, well, I just thank Matthew Letitier for giving me the kind of pleasure that I imagine that Len Shackleton gave to people uh, in uh, in English football. Uh, so uh, yeah, um, uh, you 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 were a big Letitier fan as well, weren't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Scored some of the best goals that I can remember seeing. Especially, we talked about it in one of those earlier episodes, the goal against Newcastle. Um, Newcastle, which is just outrageous. But we yeah. also, uh, because we have got so many stories in these shows, we we occasionally gloss over somewhere. You feel like, oh, we should go back and talk about it. But I, I didn't ever mention that Latissia scored the final goal at the Dell as well in a dramatic game against uh, Arsenal, which yes. is a bit of a dead rubber. But um, so he did his little mark on history there as well. And Southampton had yeah. moved into the um, St Mary's Stadium, which. We will be talking about them a little bit later in this podcast. So, sorry, Saints fans, if you feel we've neglected you a little bit, um, you will be on the agenda for this one. Um, as ever, though, we normally start with a title winning team or the title chase. And starting at the top, you know, Leeds, who, who were to suffer some dramatically poor fortune in this season, had a handing the title race this season, deciding it with a an unlikely 3-2 win at Highbury, which um, rubber-stamped mm. the title going to United. So we'll yeah. talk about the, that game to come. But okay. it, in terms of it being a big bag of a campaign, that was summed up by United, really, because if you, if we've gone over these um, Premier League teams in the past, and we, and we pretty much have, we've occasionally named them player-for-player player in an eleven. But yeah. United, this team at this time around were really much uh, of a composite yeah. side weren't they i mean i looked at the stats for this yeah. and only five players started 30 or more games and the majority yeah. of them were like the i teens or low 20s for appearances um yes you had yes. Um, I mean, even
1: roy roy keen I, I i don't think he played all that many games there. and uh um yeah the two Nevils, both you know in and out uh, of course, a lot of it was to do with the emergence of good players, of really outstanding players. Diego uh, Forlan, I was not an outstanding United player, but um, he looked like a, a good signing and a good uh, a good partner for Ruud van Nistelrooy when he played. Uh, John O'Shea, though, was probably probably the, the find of the, the season. Certainly from from within the ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, he he had a tremendous season Um, and uh, um, uh, Mikel Silvestre still playing well Uh, I think Silvestre started the season at left back but O'Shea uh, found himself in that position when they moved Silvestre inside maybe Uh, because Laurent Blanc for me, nice lovely footballer but never quite right for Manchester United I, I didn't feel
0: no, you're right, and I think Wes Brown had his injury problems and, and Blanc started the season, but Sylvester moved inside. Irwin had moved on to Wolves um, at the yeah. end of his... Uh, We're joining
1: uh, Paul Ince.
0: Yeah, and they'll be coming to, to the, this podcast very soon, won't they? Um, yeah, but but John, O'Shea, so. <laughs> John O'Shea did emerge as a, as a left-back of, of Real Promise as well, and one of the mm-hmm. most... Perf- um, most... Same. I was going to say improved performers, but he was one of the. He made a real statement playing for United. Um, yeah, that's for yeah. sure. I left back and Solskjaer, you know, somewhat ironically considering what is to follow in his career, he made mm-hmm. the most league perform league appearances for United this season. Twenty nine yeah, yeah. starts and eight as a sub, um, starting as a striker yeah. and ending as a right winger. Um, yeah.
1: This, oh yeah, that, that's. Uh, I remember that period. Whatever <coughs> you did with Solskjaer, he just, whatever he asked of him, he did, you know, and uh, one of the the lessons that I've learned from doing these podcasts and and researching them and, and, you know, really looking back at the seasons in detail, in that because Solskjaer scored that winner in Munich in 1999, history sort of identifies, you know, English football history identifies him with that moment and people say, God, he must have been, he was one of the great subs of all time. Uh, in actual fact, he scored a huge number of goals for Manchester United. And you don't get that by just coming on for the last 20 minutes. He started a lot of games. He was he, he enabled Ferguson to rest uh, the likes of well, Cole has, has now left Manchester United, but Cole and York. Um, he, he, he enabled uh, you know, uh, Ferguson to rest those without diluting the quality of the team, and uh, that was that was why I say I've I've said a couple of times that Ferguson was the great um, tinkerer. You know, the great uh, rotator of squads. I think he handled the squad system as well as any manager in the world in the fir- in its uh, first decade, um, and. Um, you know, the classic example would be, you know, keeping Sheringham and Solskjaer happy somehow during the period when uh, York and Cole... But Solskjaer certainly is a much more major figure in the history of Manchester United as a player um, than I... In other words, I'd forgotten how big a player he was in the history of Man United.
0: Yeah, I think some... Sometimes it's the scale of the fact that ninety nine was such a big moment that everything else can feel like it's dwarfed by comparison mm. in that. So it's almost like the victim of his own success in a way. But he, yes, he um, he certainly. I mean, he showed his capabilities as a footballer more than just a finisher this season as well. I mean, yeah. um, United. There was a quote somewhere. I think it was after United lost City, lost against City, and mm. again we'll come to that one. But. Ferguson said something like United are playing too. we playing too much football, which the idea was that they were, they were overkill with the passing because they were having they were registering seventy percent possession in in some games and they weren't killing teams off. So he yeah. wanted to see sort of a more ruthless side to them, and and that came with Solskjaer on the right hand side because there was some um, in all the big games this season, Paddy. And we'll talk about. I mean, this is really this sums up United as the title challenges this season. They they took on the big games like Newcastle, Liverpool, and Arsenal. They went head to head with them. They they scored a lot of goals. I don't. I think they they won both games against Newcastle. They won both against yeah. Liverpool and two great games against Arsenal. Where in terms of um, their heads, their head to heads with Arsenal, they were as rich in physicality and entertainment as they'd ever been. Yeah. So um, I, I wouldn't say it's the best United title winning side, but. In terms of how well they went over the season, they probably deserved to win the league.
1: Yes, without a shadow of doubt. I mean, you mentioned the victories over Newcastle. Bear in mind that Newcastle were a fellow top club, um, you know, Champions League team. Uh, and uh, at at Newcastle, uh, the United won 6-2. Um, and I mean... I think Skol's Scholl, got a hat-trick. Van Nistelrooy yeah. only, only got a penalty that day. Skol's got a, a sensational hat-trick. The first goal, a, a brilliant one-two that he's initiated. And, it, it, you know, he didn't sort of stop the ball and, and shoot. Uh, he just volleyed it in, low volley. Uh, then a couple of, you know, a, a rocket, the unsavable rocket. And, and I can't remember what the third goal was, but you know, masterclass from schools up at Newcastle in a game that, by the way, Newcastle had taken the lead mm. uh, with an absolute pearl of a, a long-range controlled shot from Jermaine uh, Genus, mm. who was their best young player, arguably the best young player in the country at the time. So it was a, a great, great piece of entertainment, that, and, uh, yeah, as you say, they completed the double over Newcastle. Uh, Manchester United there's no there was no question as to their right uh, to the title even though uh, uh, you know you talk about the big games but the derbies are big games Man City beat Man United Uh, was that the last one at Main Road it was Um, indeed
0: yeah Sean Gota and
1: uh, oh i always remembered as the Sean Gota match at least Gary Neville will tell you that because (laughs) (laughs) he made the blunder that gave Gota his first game and uh, it, it, one of those ones, I must admit, as a neutral, I always like to see. I always like to see the defender get punished for those, you know, when they try and shepherd it out of play, and uh, Gota nicked it off him and uh, scored. Gota again scored, um, and it was it was great because um, because Goethe, I I may be wrong about this, but I think he was originally brought over from Bermuda to play for United, wasn't he? He was, yeah, he was a trainee at United and and was released and um, um yeah so you know that must have given Sean a lot of pleasure he didn't score an awful lot of goals in the season for Manchester uh, Manchester City as you may remember your city managed by Keegan at this time um uh, as you may remember we mentioned in the last episode that Goethe got something like 28 and Darren Huckabee 20 as city scored a century of goals in getting uh, out of the the championship, um, but Keegan took a quite ruthless decision to um, replenish his attack with uh, well initially uh, Nicholas uh, Anelka, uh, and then later in the season he signed uh, Robbie Fowler. So he, he decided to go for class. He felt that Gother and Huckabee couldn't quite you know make that step up. So it was a it was a probably a rare, a relatively rare moment of glory for Gota in the in the top division um, but uh, of course being a derby
0: uh, it'll never be forgotten by City fans or dare I say it, the likes of you Wayne yeah, No yeah, I remember I remember it all too well um, but you know, it is one of those looking at it on the balance of things the romance of winning the last derby at Main Road is something you know, United, yeah. United end that's up with true. a title you can't begrudge everyone a, a positive memory nope. so let's nope. um, uh, say <laughs>
1: Sorry. and city had a city had a very very good season uh a, a very good sort of first season back um i mean they finished ninth yeah. uh, just below southampton who we'll come on to later uh so that was a terrific uh, um uh, you know sort of statement we're back and um uh, so i would definitely count as a as a good like, a final season at main road um before moving uh, across the city.
0: Yeah, certainly it's up there with their best Premier League efforts so far. Um so especially after yeah. coming up from being promoted, so it's a big a yeah. big move forward for them. Arsenal obviously um falling behind after winning the double yeah. the previous season. I, I loved yeah. the little spat which was starting to emerge between Ferguson and, and Wenger around this time. Yeah, he called um, them arrogant, didn't he? I, and also Ferguson had complained that Arsenal weren't the better side in the previous season, to which Wenger responded, Everyone thinks oh, yeah. they've got the prettiest wife. that was great. Great uh, line, yeah. And then for this season Wenger was on he was the bitter one in response, wasn't he? he? couldn't accept that Arsenal weren't the better team. But uh, you That's can see right. why, because they they were leaders for much of the season. Um they yeah. thought after beating Bolton earlier in the season, he made a claim that he felt that they could go and beat him for, for the entire season. And and in reality, I mean, you look at a team who finished second and we've done it before and said, oh, well, the the wheels came off in a certain game or something like that. But Arsenal were really good challengers this time around.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they, they were. Um, I think because of the double, the the glories of the double the the previous year, um, an awful lot was expected of them. And I think Wenger too. I mean, Wenger seemed to resent it when uh, rough northern teams, you know, tackled them too hard, and and there was a lot of truth in that. The referees allowed a bit too much in certain games, um, but um, there was a sort of air of preciousness about them in in, in the season. They did, of course, they didn't have a bad season. They led, as you say, they led the league in September. Then again, from mid- November to mid-April, you know, if you do that, you expect to win the league. Mm. Um, they drew two all at uh, at home to United, um, uh, and and they 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 did lose. They lost at Blackburn. I remember it didn't didn't sort of like it there, and uh, they also had a draw at a draw at Bolton, uh, where they were alleging, you know, a bit of rough stuff, um, and then as you say, they lost it. Finally, went out. I can remember being. At the game at uh, Highbury, um, at home to Leeds, at their penultimate match. And uh, Leeds had had a, a, a very poor season by the standards that they'd come to expect in the um, O'Leary era. They were under Terry Venables now, um, although perhaps he'd given way to Peter yeah, Reid Peter Reed the at that time. point, yeah. Yeah, given way to Peter Reed in March, I think. Uh, so they were under Peter Reed and vitalised. Um, Revitalised by the time they went to Highbury, they won three-two. Uh, a late winner, majestic late winner from—I I, I can, I can still remember—he was man of the match by a mile. Mark Mark Viduka hadn't—I um, don't think he'd scored quite as many as he had done in previous seasons. I'm um, looking rather desperately for the figures. He scored twenty-two so, in all competitions. So twenty-two in all competitions. So he did. He did. He was back to his. He's scoring best. Um, Kewell and Ian Hart also scored down, down there in North London. So uh, on that particular day, they looked like uh, the old leads and still a lot of good players remained. Um, Rio Ferdinand had gone to Manchester United. reunited once again breaking records in their transfer policy. Um, I mean, when you, you had Veron, who had been a, a record breaker, you had Rio... Yeah. Uh, who has been a, a record breaker, and Van Nistelrooy? Well, he wasn't cheap either. So the um, the power that Manchester United had, I know we've it, there's been a sort of recurring theme, but it remained true. You know, City was still at uh, Main Road in this season, two thousand and three, that we're talking about. Arsenal were still at Highbury, so that meant that Manchester United, with a sixty eight thousand average crowd. And bear in mind, we're still in an era where the average crowd matters mm-hmm. in terms of your revenue and your pulling power, uh, your financial muscle. The only body, the only team that got anywhere near them, instead of average in terms of average crowd, was Newcastle with fifty-two. That's sixteen thousand less on average. So, uh, Liverpool forty-three thousand were twenty-five thousand behind. Chelsea, another 4,000 behind. Arsenal, another 1,000 behind them. Um, Leeds United, 40. Sunderland, um, who get relegated this season, Theirs is, their crowd has gone down to 40, but still pretty good, isn't it, for a mm. relegated club? Um, and uh, actually, the in terms of gates, the the team that really did advance in this season um, was Everton, who were up to 38 at Goodison, a sign of uh, the fans' uh, approval
0: of uh, their 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 improvement under uh, David Moyes. Yeah, and they will be to come. Um, we definitely enjoy talking about about yeah. the, what was happening at Goodison there. Um, a little bit more about you know the Arsenal United battle, which was typified really by Henri and Van Nistelrooy who the the goal-scoring battle went down in (laughs) it was almost like a shootout between them every week, wasn't it? Yes,
1: that's right
0: I think Van Nistelrooy was the more ruthless goal-scorer but Henri obviously had a lot more to his game and I think it it typified really by the fact that on the ruthless side of it, Van Nistelrooy ends up with the title but Henri ends up with both Player of the Year awards and Goal of the Season as well
1: yeah, yeah, I think that you summed it up uh, about right. Yeah, Van Nistel. I mean, I I notice uh, that I, I'm pretty sure that uh, if you if you add in assists, which they, they because they didn't have in those days, um, that, that, that Henri would have come out of that very well. Yeah, um, he, he he really he, he always sort of was aware of what was around him, um, and that was that was the difference. I mean, the Henri was for me is the best uh, player uh, of the Premier League era and remains so. I, I mean, I'm saying this in the year 2020. For me, he, he remains, if I was having a Premier League Hall of Fame, which, oh yes, there was one, <laughs> wasn't there? I just announced before the lockdown. Um, if uh, if I were in charge of the Premier League Hall of Fame, Thierry Henry would be the first, uh, first uh, bronze statue in it
0: or whatever they're going to be. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was his uh, imperious best this this um, this season, and you know he, he did rightly win both Player of the Year awards. Although you know, yeah, for, also for courses, I think Van Nistelrooy yeah. suited the United style. Um, oh yeah, I mean a tremendous player. I mean,
1: fantastic player, uh, and and one of the the great goal scorers at Old Trafford. I mean, uh, I suppose you're talking about goal scorer. Um, where, how would you compare uh, I mean we've talked about uh, Andy Cole and his achievements treble winning blah 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 um, if you were forced to choose as your number 9 Rude or Andy Cole
0: which one would you go for oh it's an interesting one I think on um, oh yeah wow I mean it's uh, a you, tough you, one you, it's,
1: it's difficult because you think of Cole and York as indivisible yeah. And, and very hard for defenders to pick up either of them because of the way they, uh, the, the sort of um, telepathic understanding they had. Um, but uh, yeah, you see, there you are. That's the kind of problems you have in separating players. Um, I might go for Van Nistelrooy if I had the choice. Yeah, and obviously.
0: Colin Van Nistelrooy. A, a player like that is as good as his supply line. And um, yeah. David Beckham who was a major part of that supply line was sold at the end of a very controversial yes. season Paddy. it certainly
1: was this was the one that uh, included his being left out of the Champions League game against um, uh, Real Madrid one of the all-time classics although the outcome wasn't what Old Trafford uh, felt it deserved or, or uh, wanted but uh, he was left out of that game initially. He was on, uh, put on the bench. And this followed a series of uh, tension, tense episodes with uh, Ferguson, one of which ended up with, uh, with uh, Beckham requiring medical attention after... It was, it was in the aftermath of uh, an FA Cup defeat at home by Arsenal. Uh, Wiltord, Aduan Todd, I think, scored. Um, And it was uh, 2-0, FA Cup fifth round, possibly. And it was obviously Ferguson was furious in the dressing room afterwards. And uh, at one stage, he lashed out at a boot. Uh, He was rowing with Beckham, and the boot, uh, whether by accident or design, hurtled in Beckham's direction, hitting him above the eye. And Beckham made sure that uh, pictures of this heinous crime <laughs> were circulated publicly um, and at the end of the season it was it was no great surprise when uh, he was sold to Real Madrid for a good fee um, 25 million something like that yeah in, in terms of the you so know the, the wor- sorry uh, the worst buy Real Madrid ever made by the way uh, as any f- fan of theirs will tell you because buying Beckham, uh, in order to uh, make a place in the team they sold Claude McAlelly obviously nowhere near as creative um, as, as Beckham not even remotely comparable but uh, in terms of the balance of the team and the the way he uh, protected the defence um, he, he was so important to Real Madrid that they um, immediately embarked on a A trophy drought um, for which Beckham wasn't himself held responsible, but that particular trade was seen as absolutely key to um, a a sort of relative implosion
0: in uh, Real Madrid's fortunes. Yeah, ironic, really, considering anyone you talk to at the club levels about those transfers. Over the Beckham transfer to Real Madrid, they say that it's, oh, it was a transfer that suited all parties, but the the United, yeah. the United fans and the Real fans weren't so, were so happy about it. You know, so no.
1: no, well, I mean, Beckham was 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 so important to not just Van der but uh, Manchester United as a whole. You know, a creative player who protects helps to protect his fullback. I'm sure Gary Neville would say that. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, is is a is a model professional, and and Beckham was was certainly that on the field at all times. But important though Beckham was to Manchester United, no, not even um, Beckham's uh, sister would claim that he was more important than Sir Alex Ferguson. And
0: when it, when one of them has to go, well. It's definitely not going to be the Scottish one. Mm-hmm. Well, Ferguson was—he'd obviously done the U-turn on his retirement, and he was staying on. He, uh, yeah, and there was right. the Old Trafford Champions League final, which he'd hoped to get to, just as he'd hoped to get to yeah. Hamden in the final one. But um, yeah. he didn't get to yeah, e- well, either of them in the end. No, he didn't. I mean, the, uh, Manchester United's
1: interest in the Champions League—I mean, they got through two, two group stages, I think. Uh, still, that ghastly double group stage. Um, they easily won the first one, um, and then I think the old the uh, the top the second group ahead of Juventus yeah. Basel and their old friends Deportivo La Coruña. Uh, that that set them through to the quarterfinals, but they they were really undermined with a three-one defeat in the Bernabeu. They nevertheless came back to Old Trafford and honestly they created a lot of chances but the trouble was that the game had always been sort of put kind of out of reach by Ronaldo scoring not Cristiano Ronaldo but the original Brazilian and true great Ronaldo Mm -hmm. had put the game out of uh, 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 extended Real Madrid's lead to uh, 4-1 on aggregate so it meant that United were always playing catch up to be, to be fair they did but Ronaldo was always one step ahead and after he completed his hat trick with the most extraordinary 25 28 yard shot that you know dipped and curled and really left uh, Barthez totally helpless there was no way he was saving that Um after that Um, he was beckoned to the bench and a whole of Old Trafford rose to him Um, not just the Real Madrid fans the the United fans they'd seen a hat-trick from a true great and although it had all but uh, uh, cost their team the the chance of staying in the Champions League there was the recognition of, of, of the presence of greatness as uh, as he got the standing ovation as he was substituted, but even then the, the drama wasn't over because another substitute was Beck Beckham, yep. who came on, and there was anger. There was I mean he was steaming. There was oh, you could almost see steam coming out <laughs> of his ears, at being left out of this great game against this great club and um, and he scored. He, he scored a possibly his best free kick of all time, because he he hit it as if as if it was Alex, as if he was kicking a boot at Alex Ferguson, he hit it with real anger, and yet the ball still went up and down over the over, over <coughs> round and over the wall, and oh, I mean Ika Cassias who had a good game that night, just didn't even see it, um, and he got a tap in later, but it was it was too little, too late.
0: Yeah, um, United infinitely a better game than the one that was played in the final Old Trafford. Oh, seemed- um,
1: absolutely. it was was two Italian clubs in fact it was one of those incidents where one country has three out of the four semi-finalists Real Madrid obviously were one Uh, the other the others were Inter uh, Milan and Juventus and uh, anyway Juventus and Milan got to the final which was at Old Trafford and I'm sure you know a lot of the fans who went were thinking "Oh, it would have been great if it had been United but uh, it would actually it would have been great if it had been anybody because it was a dreadful boring <laughs> match I mean there was so much quality on the field wasn't there Shevchenko and, uh, but, you know, all over the field there was there were world class players uh, from Serie A uh, and yet it was a dull dull match wasn't it and uh, it went nil uh, nil 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 after extra time it went to penalties I can't even remember who who, who got the vital penalty um in fact, it was a surprise to see the ball hit in the net.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> but I think did Juventus win it? I can't remember.
0: I think Milan won it. Um, but it goes to sure. show. I mean, it was that memorable that you can't even but distinguish such, the winner. It was a, It was. Def- it was
1: uh, I don't know. I'm not saying it was the worst European Cup or Champions League final I've ever seen, but it was definitely the most disappointing,
0: given the quality on the on the field. Yeah. Um, Elsewhere in the UEFA Cup, though, Paddy, um, much more entertaining yeah. final. Well, uh, a
1: tremendous final. I was, at, I was at that one as well. That was in Seville, one of those dreadful Olympic stadiums on the, outside the skirts of town. B- Olympic stadiums for an Olympics that never took place, and uh, anyway, it's was, it was a dreadful place. M- uh, MFI warehouse, it looked like, and it, uh, but it was, it was a great atmosphere because there was seventy. An estimated seventy thousand Celtic fans travelled, and uh, they didn't—they didn't really bother. Obviously, they cared if they had tickets or not, but they were quite happy to go. They had to be there if for Celtic to see yeah. Celtic, hopefully winning it. But um, they were up against Porto. Porto. Um, managed by uh, Jose Mourinho, a, a, a club and a manager with which Manchester United were to become familiar, but all in all, in good time. Um, Porto Mourinho was definitely making his name. You know, even you know, in England, this Mourinho was considered one of the bright young managers around uh, around the country. And Celtic, although they played well, reasonably well. Henrik Larsson was brilliant, scored two, but uh, Porto scored three. Uh, there were accusations that they dived too much and all that, but you know it was one of those things. And um, I remember, you know, talking about all those Celtic fans without um, without tickets. Um, I, can I just share this memory of that game with you? Um, it's I, I got uh, to the press center about uh an hour an hour and a half before the game and uh the, i got to the uefa desk to ask for my ticket and uh my press box box ticket obviously and the guy said uh, i'm really sorry uh it's not here i said "Oh, don't tell me and um because it, it was it was a bit of a difficult journey because it, there was every, Celtic fans had taken all the hotel accommodation in Seville, so I, I don't know where I was staying, but it was miles away, and um, uh, anyway, so I thought, oh no, all this journey for for nothing. I said, what's the problem? He says, well, don't worry, don't worry, because what's happened is there's been a theft, and half the press tickets have been stolen, and yours was one of them that one that was stolen but don't worry, we're arranging duplicates uh, so if you could just come back in about 20 minutes so I did, I came back in 20 minutes they gave me a ticket for um, uh, for the press box and I said, oh thank you very much, that's good and uh, anyway, made, made about 10, 15 minutes before the start made my way up to the press box and uh, when I got to my seat there was, this, there was two Celtic fans sitting in it <laughs> a father and a son sitting in it, you know, with Celtic scarves and everything. I said, boys, I'm afraid you're going to have to move. But uh, And they said, no, no, we bought this. We bought this seat. And they showed me this, these two press tickets. Um, uh, And, and I said, how much did you pay for those? I'll never forget it. They said, 500 euros each. I said, well, I'm really sorry, but uh, you, you, you're just going to have to you're just going to have to move. And they uh, they looked really so sad as they got up. Now, I don't, you know, you can't have people not working in press boxes, but I did not have the heart to shift them. So I said, listen, and, and you've got to do this for me. I said, if you sit, and I remember there, were, there was there was a the little step either side of each seat in the press box in this stadium in Seville I said listen if you sit on the step on the right hand side and your son sits on the step on the left hand side and you keep your heads down you know you'll be able to see the game over the over the desks um, but I'm sorry but you've got to take your scarf put your scarf away and whatever you do if Celtic score don't cheer <laughs> Because if you do, the stewards will come and you'll be thrown out. But, you know, I know you've spent a thousand euros between you and I didn't have the heart to do it. So they said, yeah, we won't let you down. Don't worry, don't worry. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I sat down. (laughs) Anyway, it lasted about 10 minutes. Ah, referee, when are you going to stop this diving? (laughs) And uh, so I said, I said, boys, I told you, down, down. And so, eventually, they went down. And then they did actually make it. They sat on their hands through the whole 120 minutes. And then, um, as the penalties, as the fine after the penalties were over, they said, "You know, thanks very much." And I said, "You well, are sorry you didn't get the result you wanted." And this crept out again. But uh, yeah, it was a happy memory. I, I I met one of them. I was at a Celtic match a few years later. And one of them came up and said, "You don't remember me." But uh, and uh, so it was. A, it was a happy memory in the end. Because, um, uh, but unfortunately, not for them because they lost. Anyway, where were we before I started digressing?
0: <laughs> we were on cup competitions, Paddy. We were on yeah. the um, well. We might as well talk about the league cup because Arsenal won the FA Cup. Yeah, Liverpool started well, but had a horrendous winter run of form. Uh, but the um, they got to the League Cup final and uh, defeated United in there. Although it wasn't the progression they'd hoped for this season,
1: they'd won three trophies, three cups. Um, in you know we discussed that in previous episodes, and and uh, but uh, sorry that was two years earlier. But they there was a, definitely a feeling that uh, Gerard Houllier was not the same man as as in the. Um, as before his, uh, his life-threatening oper- uh, um, uh, uh, ruptured aorta and the operation that followed. Um, I mean, obviously, he, he, I mean, he, was, he was at the height of his powers before that, um, after that great triple-winning uh, season. Um, but a lot of the players with whom he tried to revitalise the team turned out to be not good enough. El-Hajj, Duf uh was a good decent player but uh not a great character in fact during this season he was accused of spitting uh, a celtic fan um in the um in the uefa cup uh, two legged match that ended in liverpool's removal beaten 2-0 by celtic at uh, at uh, at anfield um salif diao uh his compatriot uh was 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 rubbish to be quite honest uh, just a big lump who never seemed bothered. Um, Bruno Cheru, a very highly rated young Frenchman, uh, never seemed to have the character for the for, for, for the English game, or certainly at the Liverpool level. Also Igor Bishkan, one of the brightest uh, young players in Europe, according to Woollier, who felt that he'd got a real capture there. But uh, Bishkan turned out to be one of those that was good at uh, under 21 level but but never really kicked on into a top player uh, so the all of these could be cited as evidence that uh, that he didn't quite have the touch that, uh, the Midas touch that he'd had in the triple winning season he did bring in Milan Baros from the Czech Republic uh, uh, a good goal scorer um, uh, although he managed uh, only 9 in the league um, alongside uh, Michael Owen uh, although sometimes they they um, they would alternate Owen got 19 usual his usual sort of tally 28 in all competitions because um, they did play a lot of matches Liverpool um, but very disappointing in the Champions uh, in the Champions League uh, beaten home and away by Valencia uh, could only draw in Basel and that was the game that put them out that was a game where a uh, problems with stephen Gerrard uh, uh, uh you know exacerbated liverpool's troubles and um you know it's a, sort of what what it was characterized as a split between Ullier and and stephen Gerrard stephen was you know a, a, quite a sensitive boy at times you know and quite not easy to handle at times but uh of course he you know on the on the field he was sensational but um yeah it was it was very uh, gloomy, and, and in fact, that's how uh, Liverpool ended up in the UEFA Cup. They they were knocked out of the relegated from the Champions League to the UEFA Cup, but then they were beaten by Celtic. So it was just a season of uh, a season of just disappointment all round. Not least for Steven Gerrard, who, uh, well, it was just a very unmemorable season for this rising star. You know, he the two in a Mersey derby launched a two footed horror tackle I can still see it it was one of the worst tackles I have ever seen in my life um, on Gary, Gary Naismith in a Mersey derby um, and uh, he had to apologise for that or he chose to apologise for that quite rightly because uh, it was horrendous um, and in, in fact in all competitions that season Stephen scored only 7 goals so um, yeah disappointment all round
0: yeah, not so much for Southampton though. We got to a cup final oh. under um, Gordon Strachan and, and finished quite high up the table. I mean, we haven't really given. Yeah. I said at the start of this show, we haven't yeah. given Southampton a lot of due, but they've they've really no. done. Because um, I guess earlier in the um, in the conversations, they would have been perennial relegation challenges, but now they're That's really right. establishing themselves. Top to, half,
1: yeah. Top half in a in a new stadium. Uh, with, uh, you know, a, a, a doubling the capacity of the Dell um, and with some good players. I mean, we've mentioned that Matt Latissier' era came to an end, uh, but that they'd certainly got a new star in James Beattie mm. who scored, uh, I mean, they got him for only a million. Could, would you believe he was the make-weight? Coming from Blackburn, he was the make-weight in, a, in the deal that took Kevin Davis <laughs> to Blackburn. Yeah. I mean... It's unbelievable. But uh, you know, he was the sort of Keith Keith Gillespie <laughs> to Kevin Davis' Andy Cole. And um so a one million quid was 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 what it was supposed to have taken. Yeah. And actually, for the first couple of seasons, that didn't look too ridiculous a price because he, he just didn't score goals. He got about he got six in his first two seasons, six goals, um at the Dell sorry at St Mary's uh, but then um, in the season we were talking about uh, this 2002-03 he just became a star and he got 23 in the league alone um, and I'll, I'll I mean, go through the rest of the team um, if I may they had a good keeper Antiniemi. Yeah. Uh Jason Dodd with decent, decent right back Although Chris Beard, uh, I think, made his debut in the cup final. Cam um, uh, at the back. Oh, uh, on the other, the other fullback uh, was Wayne Bridge, who was really making a name for himself. He was one of the bright young fullbacks, one of the best around. Uh, Rory Delap, uh, Marsden, Chris Marsden, uh, Matt Oakley was coming through. Now that he looked a real prospect too. Uh, the Svensons, Paul Telfer who'd been at uh, Coventry with uh, Strachan. Gordon Strachan was the manager, by the way. I should have said that. And then usually, often partnering beat the up front was Brett uh, Ormerod. So, yeah, decent team. And they they fell behind midway through the first half in the cup final down at the Millennium in Cardiff to, oh, was it S who scored? Yeah, it was S who scored. And they 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 stuck in there and kept it, to just a goal, and then at the end, they had a couple of chances. Ormrod had one and uh, just couldn't quite uh, force it into extra time. But a really good season, you know, eighth in the league uh, and a visit to the cup final, you know, that, 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 that restored Strachan's
0: reputation after the, after the um, uh, relegation of Coventry. Yeah, Everton didn't have a cup final, but they did finish in seventh, and they had um, arguably yeah. something just as exciting to look forward to with the emergence of Wayne Rooney in attack. Yes,
1: sixteen-year-old uh, emergency became. I scored a couple of goals. Oh, who was that against? I can't remember. Everybody remembers though. The goal, the winner against Arsenal, yeah ps- magnificent shot that beat uh, David Seaman in off the underside of the bar for a last-minute winner. Uh, Rooney, uh, at the age of 16, became Everton's youngest goal scorer since Tommy Lawton. That was 70 years earlier. Um, it was a good team. Richard Wright, who's popped up in previous episodes at Arsenal, is now at Everton. Uh, Rooney wasn't the only one to make a, a place his own in the first team from within the ranks because uh, uh, Tony Hibbert, who went on to have a good, steady career at right back for Everton mm-hmm. for many years uh, was, was in there. Uh, David Unsworth or Gary Naismith would be at left back. Stubbs and Weir, Alan Stubbs, David, David Weir at centre back. Um, Carsley, Pembridge, Gravison, you know, you'd have that kind of player in a, a solid midfield. Uh, Kevin Campbell and oh, Redzinski, leading goal scorer that season. Thomas Redzinski, do you remember him? Yeah, nice little forward. And uh, yeah, and uh, you know, with Rooney chipping in, I think he made as many sub appearances as as a start. You know, as as Moyes sort of kind of you know easing him in. Lie Tai, do you remember Chinese mm-hmm. midfield player? Made twenty eight uh, starts in the in the league. So, um, yep. Good team, but uh, even so, seventh was tremendous um, uh, testament to uh, David Moyes and his
0: teams uh, and his coaching teams' organisational abilities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Leeds United did the opposite journey, really, didn't they? (laughs) Um, They, you mentioned they sacked David O'Leary, they hired Terry Venables. I, I guess he was ostensibly seen as a step forward, but. Perhaps uh, Ridsdale had usually um, underestimated O'Leary's good relationship with the younger players in the squad. And also, you mentioned Ferdinand was sold, but also Robbie Keane. They did have a good nucleus of players, but they sold Robbie Keane, they sold Lee Bowyer, they sold Jonathan Woodgate, Mm -hmm. Robbie Fowler also after a short period. So they were already having to sort of sell to, uh, they're already playing catch up. the money was
1: running out. The dream that uh, Ridsdale and all the other fans had been chasing had, 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 had turned into a nightmare. The debt was creeping up towards eighty million, and Ridsdale, after in you know, came under pressure to quit. I mean, this most popular chairman had suddenly become a reviled figure, and he did actually quit as chairman in in March, um, at, at which time you know things changed and. Uh, a guy called Professor Mackenzie took over in the, in the interim as as chairman and um venables left and and Peter Reed came in um but yeah as you say they they just sold too many players um and uh you know Woodgate went to newcastle uh Robbie Keane my goodness uh, they uh, must have been setting a world record for for big transfers. He'd been everywhere, hadn't he? Wolves, Coventry, Inter. Um, and now he went from Leeds to Tottenham. Yep. Tottenham looking for a striker at that time, and, and he, he, he he left uh, as well. But um, the, Leeds did stay out of the, promote, uh, the relegation scrap, but uh, the good times were over. With a debt like that, uh, it was going to be a struggle.
0: Yeah, Reed came in at the back end of the season. He, he sort of—it mm. seems weird looking back on a team that were in a European Cup semi-final just two years earlier yeah. than this. But they needed—they needed Reed's um, stability really because he those three wins in the last seven games or so. Um, really, yeah. really did save Leeds from, from being involved in that relegation scrap. Yeah, that, that's right. Well, that
1: victory at, uh, at Arsenal that we spoke about earlier, that Viduca rounded off in such style, they still had plenty of, uh, of you know, decent players, including the full backs, Kelly and Hart, who mentioned before, Paul Robinson and goal, Harry Kuehl. Um, so, Eric Bakker. So, we, you know, there's still a, a lot of talent, but it was clear that the club was rotten. Uh, from from the top down and uh, and and that was as as much as the the quality of the playing staff was what uh, what what got them into the relegation scrap, if not into the into the actual bottom
0: three. Yeah, and um, Kuhl was so obviously their star. Well, he and Viduka were their star players, and Kuhl yeah. was making it very clear that he wanted to leave the club as well. And because of the right. financial difficulty, was. Um, was gonna go for a snip yeah. was not he, in the summer so yes. um, right. big shame for Leeds um, big, obviously I mean we're the, the days of them wishing for a relegation scrapping the Premier League it um, yeah. would seem like mana from heaven for, for them at the moment um, <laughs> considering the the turmoil that they're about to go through in this in this series um, but Newcastle are enjoying a few um, greater fortunes than recently under Bobby Robson. They're going up yes. the table. They're now a, a pretty much um, a stable Champions League side in the top three. Yes, yeah. um, not not really championship challenging because the perhaps the defensive shakiness lets them down on that regard. But yes. they're so stable yes. in attack and midfield that they're a comfortable third place team. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned J-
1: Jermaine Ginas, you know, who's mm. really, really had uh, added to the midfield. Shearer was still selling, selling, goal, uh, selling goals, scoring goals, and Bellamy was still dovetailing nicely with him. Uh, that they were fine, but as you say, they were distracted a little bit by the um, uh, by the Champions League. A very, very pleasant distraction, um, particularly when they beat Juventus at home um, and they got through the first uh, group stage. But in the second group stage, um, the draw was. Uh, uh, to, to say unkind would, would be almost an understatement. They got Barcelona Inter, who, as we say, uh, as we later to find out, got, got to the semis, and Bayer Leverkusen, I mean, Bayer Leverkusen, you know that, that it would be to the semi the final the, the year yeah. before. Um, but uh, Leeds to the credit did beat uh, Leverkusen home in a way uh with uh, Shearer getting a hat trick uh in the home game uh and Shola Amiobi getting his first mention in this podcast <laughs> series. Uh, got two away from home. So that was that was fine. Um, but that was that you know obviously Inter and uh, and Barcelona got through. But it was a good team. Uh um uh Titus Bramble still in there. You know Solano and Laurent Robert, that superb player. Uh, and actually, it's a good midfield. Uh, Solano, Gina, Speed, and Robert are not bad, is it? Mm. Um, uh, Andy O'Brien, uh, usually partnering Bramble at, uh, at centre back. Kieran Dyer. I mean, Bobby Robson had done his old club Ipswich not too many favours, relieving them of Bramble and Kieran Dyer, but there we go. Um, uh, but yes, very, very, very good season for Newcastle. And third place.
0: Yeah, two of the poorer. I mean, we mentioned some good relegated sides, and we'll be mentioning one. as probably possibly the best relegated side, but two of the yeah. poorer relegated sides this season in Sunderland and West Brom. Um, Sunderland, do you know? For, we say what happened to Leeds, but what happened to Sunderland? Do were top for a spell in '99, and they, um, yeah. this season they suffer that. I mentioned it in the last podcast the self-inflicted curse of sacking. Or hiring three, two, two extra managers in the season. Yeah. So you go through with three. It's always a recipe for disaster. Um, they cite yeah, to who be, was that? Reed? uh Howard Wilkinson. Yes. And they end with Mick McCarthy. Um, but they, they've yeah. gone down. Um, and it will be... I mean, they, they do come back up and they they do enjoy some more spells in the top flight, but they never but quite.
1: When you think, yeah, how 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 buoyant they were when they came up, you know, with uh, with Quinn and Phillips, you know, it's uh, it, it was a very swift uh, demise, um, nonetheless. Um, um, and and they got how many points did Sunderland? Yeah, because West Bromwich were a poor side as well. I mean. Yeah,
0: the, Sunderland were down and they were rock bottom on nineteen points, which was a low tally at this point. Um, only that's f- right. They only won one game at home. Uh, sorry, they only won four games all season. Yeah, and West Brom twenty six points. So um, definitely two very weak relegated sides there. But West Ham, yeah. um, who go down on the final day, um, yeah. Would, yeah, possibly. I mean. <laughs> there's an argument when you look at the talent in the ranks Paddy, to say that they were the, the probably the best relegated yeah. side so far
1: well uh, in, in terms of talent definitely uh, uh, you know, um, they were the perfect example of too good to go down um, they had, well they had David James in goal, international player Paolo Di Canio um, tremendous, obviously really top player uh, Jermaine Defoe uh you know, maybe not at that stage a top player, but definitely always was a top goal scorer. Um, Joe Cole, one mm. of the most exciting players to come out of the uh, the club's own uh, system for a, for a long, long time. Don Hutchison was still. Les Ferdinand had, had come from Newcastle uh, when this you know lost his place to Bellamy. The Les Ferdinand was still useful. Um, and probably one of the most coveted young players in the country I mean up there with Genus as one of the best young midfield players uh, England had produced and that was Michael Carrick Mm -hmm. Um, everybody wanted him I happen to know that Ulié wanted him at Liverpool Um, uh, Man United he was on their radar Uh, everybody wanted him so there's you know those those names rolling off the tongue I think Steve Lomas decent player uh was also in the squad so um you you know that should have been too good to go down it really should manager Glenn Roder, who'd given them a great season the season before when I think they'd finished seventh I'm open to correction on that one but uh yeah um a dangers of uh you know that that slide uh very hard to reverse when the others start fighting for their lives, as uh, as Leeds belatedly did.
0: Yeah, and a couple of teams who also did the same. The side who benefited most of all on the final day of the season were Bolton Wanderers, and we mentioned yeah. them in the previous episode, coming back up with Sam yeah. Allardyce yeah. and, and uh, Yuri Jokaif But they added to him with, um, and you mentioned him in the last episode. But JJ O'Kocha signed this season, yeah. and he really did bring some flair to the Reebok. Um, a couple of crucial goals that he scored along the way including the one that um, ultimately did save them from relegation against Middlesbrough on the last day But um, yeah. we, we say about Latissier, the value is more inter- more than the sort of um, clinical yes. nature of oh we scored the goal yeah. that saved them from relegation because oh so Kocha, what an addition to the Premier League he was
1: yes exactly, I mean people by now they were in the, the Reebok Stadium weren't they Bolton and uh so people going to to watch Bolton, whether there or, or away from home, would go with a but it was like a wee bit like the Letizier effect. Mm. You you'd go with a little spring, you say, Oh, O'Coach playing, you know, I might see a little bit of magic today. And uh and he usually provided something, even if he didn't dominate the game. You know, he would uh, he would provide some adornment to it, some useful adornment to it. Um, I thought he was a wonderful, wonderful player, and uh, and you know, definitely one of the the ones that, like Zola, like leticia where you go, ah, oh, you know, and you remember them so fondly. Um, in fact, it's surprising, as but you know, given the Okocha, the 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 quality that was coming into the club, uh, and of course, Sam Allardyce's achievements. Uh, there and later and and subsequently, it's uh, <laughs> surprising that they they got themselves in trouble in the first place, um, but but they did and uh, you know as you say they had to get themselves out of it at the last possible moment.
0: Yeah, and they, um, I mean, you meant we mentioned the final day success, but they had already begun to establish themselves as spoilers with that two two yeah. draw against Arsenal. Um, yeah. You could see that Allardyce exactly. revelled in that kind of role as well. Um, yeah. He really did. Um, O'Kocha is obviously a, a fairly memorable name. You know, I think most people would remember um, remember his contribution. But one who probably doesn't get the same level of recognition. And I, I, I remembered it when I was doing the research. But I was like, oh yeah, that happened. And I did a little bit more digging, and this player ended up in the Birmingham City Hall of Fame. And he played 30 games and scored six league goals for them. Christophe oh. Duggery. Oh <laughs> comes out of yeah. nowhere at the back end of his career. He's he's played for yeah. Milan, he's played for Barcelona, he's played for Marseille. He's won the World Cup. He's but, won the World Cup. But he's winding along down with now. Georgia. Yeah, he's winding his career down in, in Bordeaux. He's edging towards retirement. But cannot resist a move to the Midlands on loan to propel Birmingham out of danger, and his run of five goals from four games brings twelve yeah. points and safety for Steve Bruce's team. Oh, well, that's I, I, as you say, Hall of Fame material. Uh, very,
1: very happily, happily remembered. There, I always thought he was a bit of a hit and miss player. You know, not one of the not one of the the greats of the of the French generation, but. Uh, as you say, look at his look at his CV, look at his trophy cabinet. Uh, he obviously was a good player, and, and I'm sure uh, Birmingham City Hall of Fame uh, scroll,
0: uh, illuminated scroll, will be up there with the World Cup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, certainly will. And never, never a great goal scorer. I mean, he's no. I, I don't think he ever scored more than ten goals. In, a, in fact, I'm just looking yeah. now. Never more than answer, nine goals nope he wasn't a goal scorer you're quite right remembered
1: for something that he wasn't particularly good at but what he was what most people would say is that he was one of those players who, the, who pulled the defences around to make space for others that was that was one of his great skills Dugari, Gary in, in the um, in, in, you know in, in, at, at international and, and top club level
0: yeah and it- Birmingham obviously needed the, the selfless nature of his play, but also the yeah, selfish nature of it as well. Um, add the selfish, yeah. They saved his most clinical spell <laughs> to, just yeah, for, when, yeah. for when it was needed. Um, Absolutely. Mentioned Manchester City earlier, so there's no need to really go back over them, apart from to mention that they are moving to a new stadium. So they're under Kevin Keegan, they're establishing the roots of what's going to change their... Their identity, really. They're going to begin their journey into territory that they'd never explored before. Um, territory, Paddy, that a London club were about to go into. Um, what significance does Jesper Granqvist have in English football? Oh well, I remember him. Obviously,
1: he uh, preceded uh, Arjen Robin on the left wing at Chelsea. He was uh, uh, pacey. Orthodox, outside left. I, I, I can't think of any other uh, significance. But you, 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 but you obviously know the answer.
0: The final day of the season, Chelsea play Liverpool in a basically oh. a, cha- a Champions League playoff. Yes, I and you're bringing it all back. Yeah, and Jesper scores the winner. Um, oh. The idea or the way that this has gone down in storytelling legend. And I'd love to get your opinion on this. You've worked closely at Chelsea with, jo- um, you know, you wrote the book on Jose Mourinho and you have some education into the background of Abramovich snooping around. Is it yeah. fanciful to suggest that Gronkio's goal is just a convenient piece of storytelling that he qualifies them for the Champions League and Abramovich comes in and takes over? I mean, Chelsea, you yeah. know, in, in, in a certain way, they were prime candidates for what was going to happen in. either way, weren't they? Well, because they're based in. In
1: West London, uh, I mean, obviously that that was a, a real plus, but I think Champions League qualification was an essential. I yeah. really do. Uh, so I don't think it's it's too. Uh, put it this way: I think there's more truth than that than Mark Robbins saved Fergie's job. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think of far fetched. Um, I don't think it's too far fetched. No, I don't. I really don't. And. Uh, I I I think that 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 made Chelsea the perfect fit for what Abramovich was looking for.
0: It is I mean Chelsea we've talked about them quite often on this podcast in terms of being um cut from a different cloth to the other Premier League teams. They were mm-hmm. they embraced the continental revolution a lot earlier than anyone else did. And yeah. like I said, because of Glenn Hoddle, probably. Yeah, and, and we we were talking about the derivation of their changing identity, and I think we yeah. probably attribute it to Ulli O Hoddle definitely. Yes. Well, possibly the the arrival of Hoddle because of his European yeah. status anyway, because he'd been abroad yeah. and he yeah. was so respected. Um, so yeah,
1: I think in,
0: well, yes, it, it is interesting in this season that we're
1: talking about that Chelsea have finished. I think. Sixth. Uh, no, it must have been fourth. Because they got the final, yeah. final final place. In fact, in Europe, there, it's not been a great season because they're knocked out in the f- first round of the UEFA Cup to Viking Stavanger Yeah. Uh, R- Europe was never very never very happy hunting ground for for Renieri, or seldom was. But they had a decent show in the okay in the domestic cups. And yes, they finished fourth. Obviously, um, Zola was leading goal scorer, so Still thriving, uh, leading league goal scorer. Hasselbank was still scoring the odd one. Good Johnson once again got into double figures. My one of my favourites, Good Johnson. But an interesting source of goals this season was John Terry, although he wasn't an automatic choice. Uh, really, only played. Uh, regularly in the second half of the season, young John, homebred John Terry, he got six goals in all competitions. You know, illustrating his ability to uh, attack a ball. I I was I was the first few years I saw Terry. I always used to think he was better aerially in the opposition's box than he was in his own. Um, and uh, he certainly uh, I don't know how many assists, but he had scored six goals in all competitions, which was. Only two less than Frank Lampard. Yeah, eleven million. Frank Lampard, who was, who Ranieri was, was the first, I think, or or Ranieri crucially spotted that the Lampard would be a a Brian Robson type of a player who would score almost <laughs> almost at striker level. Um, yeah, he only got eight in all competitions in this particular season. Frank uh, playing midfield alongside uh, Manu Petit and occasionally Jody Morris. Uh, who's now by his side again uh, in the uh, managerial dugout Gronkier on the left uh, usually Stanich on the right Mario Stanich, do you remember him? Marco Stanich, yeah. Mario Stanich, whatever Melchot and Lasso as the full-backs Gallas, who had a great season by the way got into the <laughs> football writers team of the season William yeah. Galas at centre-half uh, alongside Desai, Kudicini had another very good season in goal. The goalkeeper, by the way, in the team of the season, uh, was one of two Blackburn players who got
0: in the team of the season.
1: Uh, an American
0: goalkeeper. Do you remember him? Uh, yeah, Brad, he was uh, Brad, very much Brad the um, scorn of Manchester United for many years. I remember. I remember was him he? well. Very good goalkeeper. yeah uh, he was, a, he was a good goalkeeper, terrific
1: goalkeeper uh, Damien Duff also from Blackburn got into, the, uh, got into the football writers team of the season as did J.J. O'Kotcha. Uh so one, two, three, Lancashire um, I'll, I'll go through the rest of it John O'Shea got into it uh, uh, you know, underlining what we although the football writers moved him to right back to enable Ashley Cole to figure in their team again Saul Campbell and William Gallas at centre half of Kocha, Duff Scholes and Vieira in the midfield and up front the two gunslingers Ruud van Nistelrooy <laughs> and Thierry Henry um, and as you um, explained earlier uh, Thierry Henry won the journalists and the players
0: uh, Footballer of the Year award most certainly well deserved and the um, yep. Chelsea revolution my god I mean We've mentioned the changes that have already happened there so far but there's nothing compared to what we're about to discuss in, in seasons to come. It's quite extraordinary. Um, but it's interesting to note that Arsene Wenger started this season claiming that Arsenal could go unbeaten and he was scoffed at at the time. Um, if, if only we knew what was to follow. <laughs> yeah, it could never happen but you know coming into the top flight for the following season we've got two new names in Portsmouth and Wolves Portsmouth under the um, stewardship of Harry Redknapp and they're going to be joined by our familiar friends Leicester City who won promotion and this was uh, definitely the sort of backdrop of football at the moment was their, their promotion battle came against um, the backdrop of entering administration during the campaign as well. Um, Wimbledon we we talked about some of the financial struggles teams are going through. Mm. Wimbledon announced that they were going to have to move to Milton Keynes and rebrand, which was um, a controversial move. What, what do where do you stand on that, Paddy? Because I mean, Wimbledon had such a clear sense of identity to lose it was um, one of the footballing's biggest disgraces, really, isn't
1: it? It was done, yes. It was the way it was done, and uh, the follow up um, in which you know M K Dons. Um, program for many years put you know FA Cup winners and so on which is ridiculous um, a lot of that um, annexing buying of history was 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 very very wrong but I think that football is is better uh, for having one fewer club in London uh, although actually obviously Wimbledon got back to the league but for Having not for having one fewer club in London, but for having a team in Milton Keynes. Milton Keynes is too big a community not to have a successful football team. And you might say, well, why don't they grow naturally from within the community? And and that would have been ideal. But there can be no no doubt that um, that Winkelman has built a decent club at uh, at Milton Keynes. They get. Uh, they get reasonably good crowds, they've been in the championship and uh, I think it's good that a city uh, of that size uh, uh, should have, um, should have a, a football club. So I think in the end you could say no harm done but there will always be an enmity um, uh, obviously most bitter with AFC Wimbledon but a, a general enmity about Milton Keynes stones that they'll, they'll always have to live with because of the way it was done and, um, and the fact that the apologies were not tendered until, until it was far too
0: late Barnsley, as we mentioned in the previous episode and Huddersfield also faced serious trouble this season yeah. um, the case of the football in haves and have-nots was about to become more pronounced than ever